And now, The Mentors, one of the most popular and unique shows on the radio today. Each week, one of our four remarkable CEOs, including Tom Lord, John Phillips, and Rick Brutico, will challenge your thinking about life and work. Sought after for their success and for consistently putting people first, treating employees and customers with respect, and helping others succeed, now these same CEOs, the mentors, want to help you achieve your highest level of profitability, success, and personal fulfillment in life, at work, and in business. Now, here's your mentor. Welcome. I'm Tom Laurie, and I will be your host today. Thank you for joining us. The abuse of alcohol and illicit drugs is very costly to our nation, exacting more than $740 billion annually in costs related to crime, lost work productivity, and health care. U.S. deaths due to overdose now exceed 72,000 each year. And these are growing in large part to the opiate epidemic that's devastating America. Opioid overdoses have passed car crashes and gun violence to become the leading cause of death for Americans under 55. The epidemic has killed more people than HIV at the peak of that disease, and its death toll exceeds those from the wars of Vietnam and Iraq combined. Funerals for young people have become common. Every 11 minutes, another life is lost. Addiction has touched nearly all of us, including my own life. The collateral damage is vast. There is incredible suffering, heartbreak of families and friends. And for those medical staff and, and first responders and the clergy that are left behind to carry on after the destruction and death has taken its toll. Today, we are joined by two valiant fighters on the front lines of addiction who will serve as our guest mentors today. The first is Ed Kopetsky, who serves as the Chief Information Officer at the Lucille Packard Children's Hospital, Stanford, and the Stanford Health System. He has served as the Board Chair for the College of Healthcare Information Management Executives, known by its acronym CHIME, and has just received the annual John Gall CIO of the Year Award, awarded by CHIME and HIMSS which is a trade association for digital health. Chime CEO Russell Branzell has called Ed one of the most courageous people I know. Our second guest mentor is Dr. Dave Gustafson, who is the past chairman of industrial engineering and now directs the University of Wisconsin-Madison Center for Health Enhancement Systems, which includes the National Program Office for the Network for Improved Improvement of Addiction Treatment and Center of Excellence on Active Aging Research. His focus is on research, including the development and testing of computer systems to help people deal with significant issues affecting the quality of life, including addiction, cancer, and aging. Ed, welcome, and let's start with you. What puts you on the front lines of the addiction crisis? Well, unfortunately, it was a uh, personal story. My son passed away from an opioid overdose uh, at age 31 about a year and a half ago. And um, as a family, we had uh, dealt with this. As you mentioned, it's very evasive. And he had, uh, for over 10 years, um, had come home in college, uh, was addicted originally to Oxycontin, uh, which is a well-known pain medication that is way overprescribed in our country. And um, I, I tell you, um, it, it was devastating to see him fail for five years and then be in full recovery. For five years, he was at the height of his recovery after four and a half years and came into contact with heroin and succumbed within an hour or two. After uh, just, and so, it blew me away that how powerful these drugs are and how powerful addiction is, but we really don't understand it. And at the end of the day, um, after his service, uh, we were sitting around my home and with some close friends, including Russ Branzell and some other close friends, and I exasperated, just said, I, you know, I hope something good can come out of this. And a couple days later, they called me and said, we want to start 
an opioid task force and uh, in your son's honor. And I, you know, I was still in shock. I thought about it for about a day and I went, you know what? Uh, Chime is an organization that uh, has, has many, many healthcare CIOs across the country. Uh, we're uh, positioned with all the vendors and uh, as CIOs, uh, we're about leading change and sharing best practice with each other. That's what it, the whole organization was founded on, so I said, why not? And so in a year, a year ago in January, we launched our task force, and um, I've been very gifted by uh, everyone who's helped. My God, people step up. And uh, I really wanted to be a culture champion first and foremost for this. I, um, I think part of the disease is shame and hiding it and uh, embarrassment and um, we need to get it on the table that this is affecting every family in America right now. And if, if not, it's in your community. And so uh, we took up a cause. So this is still pretty raw. It is. Pretty raw. Uh, we're going to talk a, a little bit later about the uh, various stages, uh, which I looked up, and that has to do with the, uh, the gateway. We'll talk a little bit about that, hopefully. Uh, tolerance. Withdrawal, addiction, treatment, relapse, and recovery. And I know it's from my understanding that in recovery, when somebody is going through recovery, if they fall off and then take a drug again because they're coming off, the impact of that drug, they can't go back to a dose or some kind of a dose that they had before because that's what that's leads fatal. to the over. That's yeah. fatal. Yeah. yeah. So I understand. Our, our second guest is Dave Gustafson, Dr. Dave Gustafson. Uh, Dave, uh, tell us what got you onto the front lines. Well, um, I've I've been in health uh, care research for well my whole my whole life, and uh, not really. Uh, it's almost exactly the opposite of Ed's situation. Our family had never that I know of been engaged with illicit drugs, and uh, uh, but one day I just got a call out of the blue from uh, the largest uh, philanthropic organization in healthcare, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. And they, they said that uh, they had been talking with various people and thought that I would be a good person to lead a new, initi- new nationwide initiative to improve access and retention, uh, access to treatment and retention in, in treatment. Um, I still sometimes wonder um, what uh, got me there. But in in any case, I decided that, sure, I'd like to take on this challenge, and so I'm going to get myself admitted for heroin addiction. And I I was faking, and I told everybody I would be faking, so they all knew I was not a real patient. And I went through a process of about seven weeks off and on uh, trying to get myself admitted for heroin addiction. And uh, I can tell you more about that story uh, later on, if you wish. Yes, so let, we'll come back to that. And my uh, experience isn't really with the drug opiate side, but uh, alcohol, which is also a, a serious problem, which we'll touch on. Uh, my dad was an alcoholic. He was in uh, Alcoholics Anonymous back in the 40s through the 50s. Uh, so I'm very well aware of the addiction. We need to take a break. When we come back, we're going to come back to talk to Ed and Dave and continue our discussion around uh, the opiate crisis, addiction, and its collateral damage. I'm Tom Laurie, and this is The Mentors Radio. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of my pillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat. I would flip-flop all night long. I would wake up with a sore neck, maybe a headache, or feel like I needed a nap even though I slept eight hours. When I invented my pillow, I wanted it to where you can move the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual, regardless of sleep position. My pillow will get you into that deep sleep faster and you will stay there longer. It's not about how much time we spend in bed. It's about how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all of my own manufacturing right here in the United States. I have a 10-year warranty. You can wash and dry my pillow, and I give you a 60-day money-back guarantee so you have nothing to lose. And here's my best offer ever. My pillow is now offering 50% off their four-pack special plus free shipping. Go to MyPillow.com or call 1-800-890-6632. 
1-800-890-6632 and use promo code MENTORS. That's 50% off plus free shipping. Don't delay. Order now. In classrooms across America, students are not learning the same history you did. Last year, McGraw-Hill apologized for calling slave trade immigration. And a popular world history textbook devotes a full chapter to Islam and Muhammad, but only a few sentences to Christianity and Christ. Recent federal testing shows students are far worse in knowledge of U.S. history than in math. Only 12% of high school students are proficient in U.S. history. Today's history textbooks not only fail to engage, they favor political correctness over true history. This is a serious problem that has a far-reaching impact on our culture and our future. What are your kids and grandkids learning? At CatholicTextbookProject.com, you'll find fresh, accurate, engaging history textbooks. Used in Catholic schools in more than 60 dioceses, these textbooks are highly praised by all, even award-winning secular university professors. Go to CatholicTextbookProject.com to find out why. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. I'm Tom Lauren. Today we are talking about today's addiction opiate crisis with Ed Kapetsky, who's the CIO at Lucille Packard Children's Stanford Hospital and lost a child, to, uh, an adult child, to opiate overdose, and to Dr. Dave Gustafson, who directs the University of Wisconsin Madison Center for Health Enhancement Studies, which includes uh, a network for improvement of addiction treatment. Dave, uh, let's go back to you. You were telling us about your march to the front lines of opiate addiction and treatment. Yeah, um, uh, so when I do research, I don't like to sit in the ivory tower. I like to get my hands uh, dirty. And since I didn't know a lot about addiction or addiction treatment, I uh, asked a couple of agencies, one in New York City and one in Madison, if I could get admitted for heroin addiction. I had never use this stuff. I've never uh, had any experience with that type. Uh, but I learned enough about it so that I could create a, uh, a fake story. Um, as I said earlier, it, w- it wasn't a surprise to anybody. The whole, all Everybody in the treatment agencies knew I was going to be coming and knew I, I was going to be going through this, and I asked to be treated just as a real patient would be. And uh, it was interesting. I sat for about three hours answering some of the most uh, uh, challenging questions I've uh, ever been asked about my uh, about my fake persona, and um, after I was done, um, the person said, "Well, you know, I think really uh, you do need to be admitted for for addiction, um, but unfortunately, we don't have a bed for you. <laughs> We're full up for weeks in advance, and uh, and you're just going to have to wait your turn." But let us know uh, by calling once a week if you're still interested. I don't know if, for those of you who know anything about heroin, uh, you can imagine what what this would be like in in real life, where you're desperate, you're in a situation where the uh, addiction is going to take over uh, you again, and you need some help and you need it now. And to be told that you're going to have to wait for weeks to get into treatment uh, can can be devastating. In my particular case, I did call back once a week. Week one, they said, leave a message. They didn't even say the name of the organization. They just said, uh, leave a message. Week two, leave a message. Week three, week four, week five, week six. It was seven weeks before they said I had a, they had a bed for me. Now, these people really care. The, the people who treat people struggling with addiction are some of the most dedicated people in, that I can imagine. I have been overwhelmed with their, with their kindness and with their commitment. But because they're people who are on the social work, if you will, side of the fence, they, they aren't into really developing efficient and effective delivery systems. They're more into, into caring for people who desperately need help. And so if you are in a position to, to want to try to receive care, um, one of the things you may find is the organization may not be particularly smooth in its operation. So what has that got to do with what, uh, what we do in addiction 
Well, our work is really intended to try to remove the, the, the barriers to getting good treatment that are out there, uh, trying to find ways to make things operate more efficiently. So we don't know how to cure disease, but we do know how to make the people uh, and the processes uh, as efficient as possible and as they, they carry out their important work. Uh, the further we got into it, the more we realized that the variation in quality in people who were delivering treatment was very wide. You had a few outstanding people, a few really bad people, and a lot of people in the middle. And what we wanted to do was to try to find a way to make everybody have access to the world's best treatment. So what we did was developed a computer system uh, we call it uh, HS, Addiction Chess, where Chess stands for Comprehensive Health Enhancement Support System. And what it is is that it's a system that operates on a uh, smartphone, and it tries to do three things. One is it tries to improve motivation that people have to, uh, to uh, stay sober and stay clean. The second thing it does is try to find ways for a person to be able to talk to somebody who's going through the same thing they are, but do it anonymously so they don't so so they don't need to worry about their privacy being hurt. And the third thing is to develop tools and techniques and gimmicks, if you will, for how how to cope with all the pressures you're going to be under. How do you say no? How do you avoid making the mistake of going in go, walking by? Uh, uh, a uh, shelf of liquor in a grocery store and not being able to help yourself and grabbing something. You know, things that are, there's so many different areas you can run into that are going to cause these problems. So we developed a computer system that people carry with them 24 hours a day, and, uh, and it, it has about 18 different services in it. We've carried out some randomized trials on it, and we found that uh, we can reduce by at least 50% the n amount of uh, alcohol and other drugs being used by, by them employing this treatment system and can keep them in treatment uh, over twice as long as patients who don't have access to this system. And so it seems to be quite effective, and we're just now uh, at the beginning, so it will be a you know, years-long effort to use technology to more effectively care for these people. Well, we'll give everybody on our website a link to your program so they can follow your progress. I'd like to shift gears for a second and go back to Ed. Uh, I think a question uh, that is always raised is uh, how? How do people get involved in drugs? What, what's the cause? Now, I, I have a very good friend, Mike McCoy, who uh, was a football player back at my alma mater at Notre Dame. I uh, went on to play for the Green Bay Packers, and he's going into schools right now and talking to students. And he just came back uh, and sent me a report out of Houston, and he talked about the increasing amount of depression, anxiety, fear, doubt, self-esteem issues, family issues, broken families, social media, video game addiction, and gender confusion are really a big deal out there. As he's talking, these are kids that are in junior high, uh, so maybe you can talk a little bit about. Um, uh, right. what, what, how do people get involved? Well, I, well Gateway. You know, well, I think that in our in my history and our understanding, um, there's clearly three populations of kids that are high risk. One of them is dual diagnosis. They have, you know, hype, um, ADHD or bipolar. Another is trauma. They've experienced trauma. And the other is identity crisis. And those three risks are, are those three groups are heavily at risk. But then you look at um, why do some kids become addicted versus others? And I think we're very naive on the brain science of that, but I definitely know that our son was wired and our daughter wasn't, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because none of us had those tendencies but he fell almost immediately and in his case it was very interesting his propensity or addiction propensity to the morphine molecule was extreme because he said later on 
The first time I tried Percocet, I fell in love with it. It was a differentiator for him. Now, I couldn't take it when I had back surgery last year. Just totally different. So you have that. But I also have known, like, doctors are very, there's a high percentage of doctors who become addicted. Part of it's access, but also part of it is it's, I think it's in the genes and the, and the makeup of the brain that we will we'll figure it out at some point. But we know imbalance in dopamine receptors. Some people have too many, too few is a key uh, correlation with addiction in all, ad- in all types of addiction. Well, we're going to go to break, come back. I want to talk some more about that when we come back. And uh, we're talking with Dr. Dave Gustafson from the University of Wisconsin and Ed Kapeski from Stanford Medical Center and talking about addiction, opiate crisis, it's collateral damage. I'm Tom Laurie, and this is The Mentors Radio. Americans have been traveling down the health insurance highway for decades. But lately, it's been taking us to places we don't want to go. For Christians, it's hard to know which road to take. Or is it? Samaritan Ministries provides a different direction, a biblical path for their members to pray for each other and share financially in each other's medical needs. This idea that Samaritan has adopted from the book of Acts should permeate all parts of our lives, not just health sharing. We, as a body of believers, are living out New Testament Christianity. This is what God intended for the church. Looking for a new direction for your health care? Join the hundreds of thousands of Samaritan Ministries members who are faithfully sharing millions of dollars in medical needs each month. For more information, visit us online at SamaritanMinistries.org. That's SamaritanMinistries.org. Are you struggling with how to practice your faith at work? Get answers to your questions and much more on the Catholic Business Journal. Focusing on careers and business with a Catholic perspective. That's CatholicBusinessJournal.biz. The Catholic Business Journal, generating a return on principle. CatholicBusinessJournal.biz. CatholicBusinessJournal.biz. Do you want to make a living and live a meaningful life? Is it possible to be financially successful while making a positive difference in the world? Chris Lowney, author of the best-selling business classic, Heroic Leadership, and popular speaker on topics of leadership, corporate ethics, and decision-making, shares with you his 10 simple daily habits to building a better life and world, and how to implement them in his new book, Make Today Matter. Some of these habits include don't win the race, give away your sneakers, be more grateful, and control the controllables. Make Today Matter is a 2018 Distinguished Favorite Book in the Independent Press Awards and makes the perfect gift for anyone in a time of transition, graduating high school or college, beginning a new job, or entering retirement. No matter where you are in life, it is never too late to make today matter. Available everywhere books are sold. When a prospect like Sarah visits your website, will she engage with your content? Will your message be friendly? Will it be informative? Most important, will it build trust, like one friend to another? If not, go to betterwebsales.com and contact Catherine Andes. Catherine can freshen your website, plus drive more traffic with SEO, helping you turn visitors into customers. Start today. Go now to betterwebsales.com. That's betterwebsales.com. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. I'm Tom Laurie, and today we're talking about today's addiction opiate crisis with Ed Kapetsky and Dave, Dr. Dave Gustafson from the University of Wisconsin, uh, who runs the Network for Improvement of Addiction Treatment. Uh, when we uh, before we went to break, we were talking about the what leads people to addiction. Uh, I have, uh, you know, one of the things we discussed on the phone last week is this legalization of marijuana. Not that I want to get into the political issue, but it's a personal bias of mine because I have a nephew who took marijuana early in his high school years, and it has messed up his entire life. And I think this goes back to why do some react differently than others? Uh, 
from what I hear you talking about. And from what I understand, maybe not all drugs do it, maybe all drugs do it, but I hear it rewires the brain. That's part of the big problem. Well, I, I'm, I am not an expert on that, but um, you see people with propensities to addiction, and um, you see it quick. Uh, people who um, binge are like five times more likely to become an alcoholic. If you start looking at those characteristics, but I'm not clear on the medication, uh, but, but we clearly know uh, cocaine and methadone and nicotine, and those are all addictive, chemical addictive. Um, whether it's socially addictive or behaviorally addictive, that's a whole nother class in my opinion. But in the case of opiates, um, We've had a long-term problem in this country dating back to when it was first found. I think it was World War I it was discovered. And our rate of addiction on uh, heroin increased. You know, morphine clinics never went away. Methadone clinics, I mean, because there's really no cure yet for it. And that's what's astounding in particular with opiates is the relapse rate. And... Um, Alcohol, by the way, for our son and for our education, alcohol was a gateway drug, they call it. It's down the same pathways of pain uh, reduction, whereas other people get addicted to stimulants like cocaine and meth and other things, and those are different pathways of addiction in the brain. So for Tim, for a pain med uh, person with addiction, Alcohol is almost uh, the next step. It's, it triggers that area of the brain again and turns on the cravings. Well, the New York Times ran a piece uh, a few weeks ago uh, talking about the seven stages that, uh, uh-huh. that I mentioned earlier. And they, they talk about the rewiring of the brain. And once the brain gets rewired, it's, this, it's, it's, it's a need not to get high anymore but not to go low, uh, that the brain just really uh, changes. Now, I'd like you to talk a little bit about some of the data, some of the statistics. Uh, this is a problem that's not just a family problem, but for all of us in the world of uh, running organizations, uh, this is a problem that exists in our organizations. And to some extent, it's a, it's a problem that we're all blind to until it really erupts. Uh, but why don't you, I know you have some statistics that you can share with us. Yeah. I mean, it, it was really eye opening. I thought I didn't really know anything a year and a half ago, <laughs> other than we've been li- we were living with it for ten years. But when we formed the Chaim Opioid Task Force, we started collecting statistics from around the country. And um, I'll just really, um, if people want to learn more about this, there's a book called um, Dreamland by Sam Keones, and uh, it it was written about 2014. But what happened in our country was that the theory on pain management drastically changed in medicine in the 90s. And, and so we prescribe 90% of the world's pain meds today. And at the same time, in the late 90s, early 2000s, there was a, a new dark black tar heroin um, that came into the country and they targeted uh, secondary markets and white males. And because there was money and they could fly below the radar. And they marketed in methadone clinics so they could get people hooked and become addicts. So in this book, it describes the crisis we have today. We'll put a link on that on the uh, website. Yeah. And I, I'll tell you, it's a very good background. <laughs> Unfortunately, my co-chair of the task force made us all read it before we launched it, and it was only about three months after my son passed. So that was the most difficult book I ever read because it was like, oh, my God, he talked about this stuff. And But anyway, if you are interested, you can just Google opioid mortality statistics, and up will come California Department of Health. Up will come National Institute on Drug Abuse, uh, National Safety Council. I I what just are some happen of, to do but that. But what are some of the, yeah. d- the data? You mentioned about a, the, what between the ages of uh, 35 and 44. There's yeah. some ages that are really important well, here. I mean, one of the, and I always, it's very interesting, the biggest group, 25% of all overdose deaths are in the age group of 
uh, 25 to 34. It's about 22%, 34 to 44, and then 45 to 54 is about 20%. So you account for 70% of all deaths in the country right now in a basically a 30-year window, and it's, catch, you know, it's catching up, and it really bubbles. Um, the other thing to look at, which is really uh, a very hard statistic, but neonatal abstinence syndrome is extremely high. My co-chair in Utah looked up in Utah, one in 12 babies five years ago was born with neonatal abstinence syndrome addiction. One in 12. So this is a significant problem. Uh, in some states, Maryland, West Virginia, Ohio, uh, these were ground zero states for the black tar heroin. It, it is an amazing number of uh, mortality rate. It's like double the national average. Uh, now to Dave, do you think the healthcare system is going to catch up to the problem? That's a toughie. Um, you know, I think one of the things that uh, that we've got to keep in mind is that the people who are marketing this stuff are investing millions upon millions of dollars to make sure that the answer to that is no. Uh, you know, there are new new stuff coming out like uh, fentanyl is a particular drug that can that is uh, made in laboratories. And when added to heroin, it can up the power of, of uh, uh, heroin by about 500%. And so to, uh, and of course, this is, this is something that has been set up in places like China and, uh, and uh, the Orient and things like that. So uh, I'd like to think that we're, we're making progress, but the powers that are against us are enormous, and so you know, if I if I had uh, one piece of advice that I would offer, it, it would be to just watch your kids really carefully, and if you ha see any signs of them becoming in engaged, uh, do something. Keep them busy. Don't let them uh, have time on their hands that they don't know what to do with. Uh, I think it all. In, in a sense, it, it starts with the families, and we've got to be just watching every second to prevent this from happening. When we come back, we're going to talk some more about uh, advice for families. Uh, this is Tom Laurie. This is The Mentors. We're talking with Ed Kapesky and Dave Bestifson about the opiate crisis and its collateral damage. Do you have a message for our listeners? Imagine right now, instead of hearing these words, you could be hearing your message on the Mentors Radio Show. We offer a multimedia package and special benefits available only for our radio partners. We love to customize a package that best suits your needs and goals. See for yourself. Give us a call at 844-610-8255. That's 844-610-TALK. 844-610-8255. Or drop us a note at TheMentorsRadio.com to learn more. Americans have been traveling down the health insurance highway for decades. But lately, it's been taking us to places we don't want to go. For Christians, it's hard to know which road to take. Or is it? Samaritan Ministries provides a different direction, a biblical path for their members to pray for each other and share financially in each other's medical needs. This idea that Samaritan has adopted from the book of Acts should permeate all parts of our lives, not just health sharing. We, as a body of believers, are living out New Testament Christianity. This is what God intended for the church. Looking for a new direction for your health care? Join the hundreds of thousands of Samaritan Ministries members who are faithfully sharing millions of dollars in medical needs each month. For more information, visit us online at SamaritanMinistries.org. That's SamaritanMinistries.org. Do you have a message for our listeners? Imagine right now, instead of hearing these words, you could be hearing your message on the Mentors Radio Show. We offer a multimedia package and special benefits available only for our radio partners. We love to customize a package that best suits your needs and goals. See for yourself. Give us a call at 844-610-8255. That's 844-610-TALK. 844-610-8255. Or drop us a note at TheMentorsRadio.com to learn more. And now, 
Back to the Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Hi, I'm Tom Laurie, and today we're talking about the addiction opiate crisis with Ed Kapetsky, who lost a 31-year-old son a year and a half ago to an opiate overdose, and Dr. Dave Gustafson, who directs the University of Wisconsin's Program for the Improvement Addiction Treatment. If you missed any of this show, you can download our podcast by going to our website, thementorsradio.com. That is thementorsradio.com. Remember to subscribe when you're there so you do not miss any future shows. All of our content is available for free. Uh, we were talking about, uh, you were mentioning pain. We're going to come back to Dave in a second, but I, I wanted to come in and, the, and this, how everything's been destabilized on pain management. And um, I have a very good friend who spent years in hospice, and I think 10 or 15 years ago, she told me we had a real problem the other way where we were not giving appropriate uh, pain medication to people who were dying. Uh, and so, so it sounds like there's been a real destabilization of what's right, when's right, and so on. Uh, well, I, I'll comment on it. I'll let Dave supplement. But when you think of what's happened in the last five years, and we, we are recognizing we have a crisis in the country, and hospitals around the country are looking at their prescribing uh, patterns and and reducing them significantly. Geisinger out in, uh, was one of our case studies in the Chime Knowledge Hub uh, in a webinar they did. In two years, they reduced opiate prescriptions uh, by 60%. That said, we're doing a lot of inappropriate prescribing. The problem now is where does it go? And hospitals like ours are seeing shortages of needed uh, pain meds for even surgeries. Fentanyl is a miracle drug if used appropriately. Oxycontin is a miracle drug if used appropriately. But we got into a habit and also a, an environment in medicine where doctors were being criticized and scrutinized for inadequate. So what did they do? They overprescribed. And even in our own hospital or um, you know, maternity wards are handing out 30 Oxycontin after birth. Well, I asked why. They said, well, it's just easier. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, that's what's going on. So we're cutting back the low-hanging fruit, but it's also impacting the natural supply. Drug companies are clearly uh, guilty. Um, Purdue Pharmaceuticals, look, they're in the news. Their family now is being sued. They basically misrepresented the addictiveness of these meds. Again, inappropriate use is going to lead to an addiction, right? But there's a lot of good things about pain meds. You end of life. My father-in-law had pancreatic cancer and, you know, that's the most painful and you need those things. But it's how do you, how do you shift to a new model of pain management, which our country clearly needs, uh, and also appropriate pain management as you go forward. Dave, you want to add to that? Well, a couple of, th a couple of things. I think that, um, that, there is a, an awful lot of work to be done in terms of, in terms of, of pain management. Uh, I think that there's a couple of other things that are are uh, really important. One of them is that the the pain, if you will, doesn't stop with the patient. Um, this is a devastating disease that uh, that hits families very hard. Uh, you know, I think Ed's, in a sense, Ed's family was was very special. Uh, they're a very loving family. Uh, you know, you may have a view of, uh, of these patients coming from uh, families that are all messed up. Ed's family was not messed up. We've known Ed and Janet and their, their uh, kids for years now. And uh, this was, you know, like a poster child family. And, and so I think one of the things we've got to make sure to do is to not assume anything about who is, uh, who is uh, you know, susceptible to this problem. I think another thing to think about is, um, though, is uh, in Ed's family again, they've stayed together, they've gone through this, but they went through hell for, for, ten, for 10 years. And the cost of, the, of that for family well-being in general and for the parents is just in, incredible. Many families don't make it through. You know, they, they're going to break up 
because of the uh, because of the issues associated with parenting or with having a partner who's who's struggling with this stuff. So the ramifications when we talk about seven hundred and forty billion dollars, for instance, in cost, it doesn't even begin to include the cost of uh, additional health and uh, and uh, social care for for family members. Uh, this problem is is uh, is just absolutely enormous. This is Tom Laurie. You're listening to the Mentors Radio. We have Ed Kapeski and Dave Gustafsson, who are on the front lines of the addiction crisis today. One um, one of the things that is important is that I want, and I'm going to shift gears now back to Ed. Two things I'd like you to address: the role of shame, and also if a parent uh, has or somebody could be somebody running a company. If you see that there's a problem. Because you'd mentioned uh, there's little time, and what should they do? Well, I I think I think shame is one of those things of uh, it's a natural outcome of inability to change something, and um, you know f- for a long time, AIDS was a uh, stigmatized as similar, and I think um, changing the face of addiction from being a criminal and being an, a bad person that are making bad choices to a patient that has a disease. And how it was turned on really doesn't matter. They have a disease. And if we start looking at those patients that way, I think we're going to do a heck of a lot better um, in supporting them, talking to them, uh, drawing them closer. And, um, you know, I, we all went, I'm glad we didn't have that much shame. Part of this thing of me being a voice in this is no, we're not going to be shameful about this. This is a disease and let's get it on the table already. And let's talk about what's causing it. Let's talk about what works and what doesn't work. And let's raise the bar in our awareness as a society. This shouldn't be in the prison system. This should be dealt with in the health system. So now I've got a child. I recognize there's oh. some issues. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I think the, you know, if we floundered for five years, it was, we didn't know better. We certainly tried and tried and tried. And I think if I were advising someone, I would say, if you see it, get, a, get yourself your own advisor. Get an objective advisor because you don't know what it is. You don't know how to deal with it. And you're making decisions on what you want, not what is. You know, it's an emotional decision. And when we went through five years of hell, as Dave put it, with our son when he was in the worst parts, there was fear of um, every minute. And so we made decisions to just mitigate the moment at times, you know, and... um, in the end, we did the right things. In the end, I mean, we learned, right? But um, I think you can fast-track that by getting yourself your own advisor who's an expert. And uh, to some extent, Dave filled part of that role for me early just to connect me with really knowledgeable people. And then Tim had five years of flourishing, and you know, it was really uh, it was an awesome experience to see that. Well, we're going to go back to our last break, and we have plenty to talk about, but we only have five minutes left to talk about it. Uh, when we come back, we're talking with Ed Kapeski and Dave Gustafson, who are on the front lines of the opiate crisis. Hey, there's something new for you at the MentorsRadio.com website, a new special offers page. There you'll find unique offers available only to our listeners, you. For example, have you ever wondered if a career coach could help you get to the next level? Find out. For a limited time, a superb career coach is offering you a free session. The offers change all the time, so bookmark TheMentorsRadio.com. That's TheMentorsRadio.com. TheMentorsRadio.com. There's a new book out that will open your eyes in ways you never expected. It's called Bully of Asia by Stephen W. Mosier a critically acclaimed author and internationally recognized authority on China. In Bully of Asia, you'll find insightful and timely commentary on the economic and geopolitical rise of the People's Republic of China. 
You'll learn what China's aspirations for resurgence and hegemony mean for America and the free world. Bully of Asia is a must-read for anyone concerned about China's growing power and influence. And the threat of an increasingly aggressive and militaristic China poses to Western democratic values. To get your copy of Bully of Asia, go to bullyofasia.com. That's bullyofasia.com. Find out why China's dream is the new threat to world order. Bullyofasia.com. When a prospect like Sarah visits your website, will she engage with your content? Will your message be friendly? Will it be informative? Most important, will it build trust, like one friend to another? If not, go to betterwebsales.com and contact Catherine Andes. Catherine can freshen your website, plus drive more traffic with SEO, helping you turn visitors into customers. Start today. Go now to betterwebsales.com. That's betterwebsales.com. Do you want to make a living and live a meaningful life? Is it possible to be financially successful while making a positive difference in the world? Chris Lowney, author of the best-selling business classic, Heroic Leadership, and popular speaker on topics of leadership, corporate ethics, and decision-making, shares with you his 10 simple daily habits to building a better life and world, and how to implement them in his new book, Make Today Matter. Some of these habits include don't win the race, give away your sneakers, be more grateful, and control the controllables. Make Today Matter is a 2018 Distinguished Favorite Book in the Independent Press Awards and makes the perfect gift for anyone in a time of transition, graduating high school or college, beginning a new job, or entering retirement. No matter where you are in life, it is never too late to make today matter. Available everywhere books are sold. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. I'm Tom Laurie, and today we're talking with Ed Kapesky, who lost an adult child to uh, opiate overdose, and to Dr. Dave Gustafson, who directs the University of Wisconsin's program for the improvement of addiction treatment. Uh, when we were talking, Chris, it raises so many questions. Tell me about the um, Knowledge Hub. Okay. Um, it's just something we started at Chime. As you know, we're about 1,000 or so CIOs across the country and another 1,500 members. But we basically started on the foundation of let's – share our best experiences with each other across the country. I'm a, actually a founding member from uh, 28 years ago. But to apply it in this case, we have a website where we are storing and hosting webinars, articles, uh, leading stories about healthcare organizations on how they're taking on this crisis, what are they doing, um, et cetera. We're also, so that's an online, we, we're changing the name to Action Center because we want to bring people there to take action. And uh, But basically that concept. Um, we also are publishing a, a, a book, and we're writing it as we speak, on leading practices for healthcare systems to take on the opioid crisis. And the three chap first three chapters are going to be published in the next two weeks, uh, only one year after we launched this task force. And... Um, so advice to healthcare organizations on how to take on the problem. And the reason a chime is so important is the access to data. Talk just briefly about that, and then I'm going to shift gears to Dave. Well, I think if you look at Geisinger as an example, they were an accountable care organization fully like Kaiser, and they had the data on people getting prescriptions. And so they started looking at, well, is this appropriate use? And how many people were getting way beyond the, the, the need? And so they targeted that reduction. And there's a good example. I mean, we are in charge of all the information. And, you know, I, I think we, we have the information on the overprescription of Ococcycon. Every drunk company knows. Every pharmacy knows. And we know in our own health system. And so, you made a comment also that the dentists are... Oh, yeah. I think what we found through all this is that one of the worst uh, abusers and, and leaks in the system is dental offices. And this correlation with first use at what age 
very, my son, I, I think back now, and um, Percocet was from the dentist's office mm. after wisdom teeth pulling. And so uh, there, uh, one of our scientists at Stanford found there's a correlation with early use and addiction. There's a higher increase. And so I think we're still finding this stuff out. Dave, uh, briefly, uh, we got a little bit of time left about the mom and pop rehab centers versus rehab centers and how people should look at uh, if they have a child or if, uh, if somebody has a, an employee and going off to a rehab center. They're not all the same, are they? No, they really aren't. Um, I, you know, I think one of the strengths and weaknesses of the addiction treatment field is that so many of the people who are taking care of, of addicted patients are people who have themselves been addicted. Now, the, the positive to that is that they know how to, what a terrible disease is, and, uh, and they, they would do almost anything to try to cure it. The weakness is that often the mom-and-pop operations are going to come in and are going to uh, base, uh, base their treatment around, well, this is how I got uh, clean, so everybody ought to get clean this, uh, this particular way. Uh, another thing that many mom-and-pop operations do is they say, well, medication-assisted treatment, you don't want to give medication to deal with a medication uh, uh, addiction. And, um, and so I think some of the questions you may want to ask if you're going in is, uh, is do, you, uh, do you provide medication-assisted treatment? If they say no, I don't think I'd be inclined not to go there for, for care. Another thing that, uh, that you, you might want to ask is um, how, how, how do they tailor the treatment to the individual patient? Is, is it a one-size-all for everybody, or are there really significant differences in how patient A is treated from how patient B is treated? Well, we're going to have to cut it off there. We're out of time. Uh, Ed Kopesky, Dave Gustafson, thank you for the privilege of your time and experience with regards to the addiction crisis that we're facing. If you tuned in late, you can listen to this and past shows by downloading podcasts by going to our website, thementorsradio.com. When you're there, make it easy. Subscribe to future shows. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next weekend at this time for the next edition of The Mentors Radio Show. Until then... Be a light for others who are walking in the darkness. It's been The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. To get more information about the program or a sponsor, to download a podcast of today's show, or to leave a question for our host, go to TheMentorsRadio.com. That's www.TheMentorsRadio.com. The preceding program, copyright CBJ, LLC. All rights reserved.